0: Today's episode is sponsored by Trauma Therapist Network. Trauma Therapist Network is a platform for finding a trauma therapist, learning about trauma and understanding about how trauma shows up in our lives and what the healing process can look like. Go to www.traumatherapistnetwork.com to learn more. Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan. Today, I'm so honored to be joined by Terrence Real. Terry Real is an internationally recognized family therapist, speaker, and author. He founded the Relational Life Institute, offering workshops for couples, individuals, and parents along with a professional training program for clinicians to learn his RLT methodology. He's a best-selling author of I Don't Want to Talk About It, How Can I Get Through to You, and The New Rules of Marriage. And his new book, which comes out in 2022 in June, is called Us: Getting Past You and Me to Build a More Loving Relationship. So excited to speak with Terry today. I have originally learned about his work from his book, I Don't Want to Talk About It, which is about men's depression and the intergenerational transmission of trauma from patriarchy and culture to families where men are made to be, they're told they're supposed to be a certain way, and that includes moving away from tenderness and how that interferes with their relationships with their partners, their children. And themselves. So this is something that I, I hear coming up in my practice a lot, whether I'm working with, well, people of any gender, the hyper masculinity and the harm that it causes to the individual and to the individual within their relationships. It's not just men who are harmed by patriarchy, of course. It's a violent structure that we all live within in Western culture, at least. So. I'm really pleased to be speaking with Terry today, and I hope that you will enjoy our conversation. Let's dive right in. So excited to be speaking today with Terry Reel. Terry, thank you so much for being my guest today on Therapy Chat.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited. So can we start off by you just telling our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do?
1: Sure. I am a couples and family therapist by training, psychiatric social worker by degree. I taught at the Family Institute of Cambridge for, I don't know, 25, 30 years. Back in the 90s, I wrote a book called I Don't Want to Talk About It. And I don't know whether to be proud or ashamed to say it was the first book ever written about male depression. Until that book came out, you know, women were seen as being depressed three to four times more often than men. It was a woman's disease. And I'm very proud of having a part in putting male depression on the map. And what I said in the book is that there are just as many depressed men as women, but that since then, it's been taken up by others that we express it and experience depression differently than women do women tend to pull in to internalize ruminate blame themselves men tend to self-medicate act out externalize and when you look at the rates of women's depression and uh, men's depression and then you factor in alcoholism domestic violence infidelity it turns out that we're neck and neck and so what I said, and I don't want to talk about it, is you don't see a man's depression often. You see the the attempts that he's making to run from the depression.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: And But more broadly, the book was about what we in our culture do to boys and men. It really was the beginning of a 30-year process critiquing and deconstructing patriarchy. And in the work that I that I do called Relational Life Therapy. We lead men and women and non-binary folks uh, into intimacy by leading them beyond patriarchy. Uh, So it's a practical methodology for breaking up traditional gender roles and moving us beyond them. After the book came out, there are an estimated 6 million depressed men in America at any given point, so it did real well. And I got calls from all over the country all over the world saying is there somebody in Maryland or Topeka or wherever that does the work that you uh, describe and after a while the light dawned on me and I said look if you're desperate enough and you have the resources come to Boston where I live and practice and what evolved was a two-day I call it relational intervention you come you spend two days at the end of the two days you're either on track or getting a divorce What I noticed in these two-day interventions was two things. One, they were very successful. I'd say 19 out of 20 couples did well. And two, I broke just about every rule I'd ever learned in therapy school about how to do therapy. I was not neutral. I was relational. I judiciously self-disclosed. I made a point of it. I uh, took sides. I often uh, sided, I dealt with power imbalances and I threw my weight behind the disempowered one, often the woman, not always, and brought them up. In relational life therapy, we have a saying, we want the mighty to melt and the weak to stand up. And so that was the work. We dealt with power imbalances. We dealt with patriarchy. And uh, we did really well. And I created a school called Relational Life Therapy. We have a, about a two-year training program. We're, uh, we've revamped the school and we're opening up the doors in May for people. I've trained several thousand therapists around the country over the years. And then I've written a new book called Us, Getting Past You and Me to Build a More Loving Relationship. And that is really about, well, we'll talk about it, but it's really a critique of individualism, the toxic culture of individualism, and that neurobiologically we're not individuals, we co-regulate each other, that's a myth, and that when we move beyond the culture of patriarchy and individualism and really step into what I call ecological wisdom— that we're not uh, separate from nature, certainly not in control of nature, we're a part of nature, whether the nature you're trying to control is your wife and kids or your body or your mind or your thinking, trading in a power and control individualistic model for a collaborative working with being in the spirit of kind of ecological model All the terms change. Everything changes. So the book, which I'm very proud of, really goes through the neurobiology of co-regulation, the uh, the myth of the individual, the history of individualism in the West. There's a chapter on that. And then when you stop thinking about yourself as an individual and start acting like a team, the bulk of the book is full of practical skills for couples and for couples therapists on how to really make that shift. For example, just to give you a little example, you know, I have a saying, you can be right or you can be married. What's more important to you? (laughs) And the, the ecological or relational answer to the question, who's right and who's wrong, is who cares? It doesn't matter. Those aren't the terms. The terms are, how are you and I going to make this work in a way that's going to work for both of us? And so the book is full of skills about how to speak, how to listen, how to respond, uh, how to repair, how to cherish. And then it moves from there to the bigger picture, um, moving out of a power control model, moving out of what I call the great lie that Western civilization has been based on, the lie that an individual could be essentially superior or inferior to another individual. And I talk about race, and I talk about gender, and I talk about the ecological crisis, so the global warming. So it's a deep dive that travels from our neurobiology through our personal relationships to our relationship to the culture, to rather races, and to the world at large.
0: Wow. Yes. That's amazing and exciting. I can't wait to be able to read the whole book. It sounds wonderful. And, you know, it doesn't really take a lot of imagination to see how our own disconnection from our own nature makes us disconnect from whether it's siblings, parents, our children, our friends, our, our partners, you know. And then the wider community of humanity and nature and, you know, the whole world. It's all the same stuff.
1: But I start with neurobiology and trauma, uh, because uh, what we know is that the autonomic nervous system scans the body four times a second going, am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? And if the answer is yes, I feel safe. Then we stay in what I call the wise adult part of us, prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain that evolves last in someone's development, the part of the brain that evolved last as a species, the most mature part of us, that can stop and think and make deliberate decisions. What happens if the answer is, no, I don't feel safe, is you lose what I call us consciousness, that prefrontal cortex you lose the sense of relationship, of the whole, and it reverts to me, 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 me versus you. You uh, lose abundance. You live in a uh, impoverished world in which it's me versus you, win-lose, zero-sum, and it's a fight to the death, and it's about my survival. And you literally move from to a different part of the brain, to the subcortical, uh, you know, limbic system and amygdala when you're triggered. And the whole book is about, OK, when you're triggered, when you are overrun with that automatic part of you, which I call the adaptive child part of us. How do you develop the practice of what I call relational mindfulness? How do you literally build the muscles in that very heated moment of taking a breath, taking a break, taking a walk around the block if you need to, having a little chat with your inner child having uh, uh, doing some breathing, doing some meditation. Uh, doing some of those regulation techniques that we know from trauma, taking a break, using some of those re-regulation techniques that we've learned from uh, from trauma, and centering yourself back into the wise adult part of you, and then going back into the fray. Uh, One of the things I say is, you know, I do workshops around the country, and one of my, I have slides like everybody else, and my favorite slide of the workshop says this, Laura, Other workshops teach you skills. We deal with the part of you that won't use them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Perfect.
1: (laughs) Because when we're triggered, we lose the us. And we move into our trauma. And we don't move into what I call the wounded child part of us. We move into the adaptive child. I once heard Gabor Mate say, rarely do you see the wound, what you see is the scar tissue. And, that makes
0: so much sense, yes. Yeah.
1: And in relationships, you rarely see a wounded child. You know, the wounded child part of us, very young, three, four, five. It uh, just wants to crawl up in somebody's lap and cry. Uh, the, a wise adult knows what they're doing. But between these two is what I call the adaptive child part. Uh, when I do kind of empty chair, gestalt uh, uh, therapy work with the adaptive child, it's usually five, six, all the way up into teens, 20s. And that's the part of you that you created to adapt to whatever the crazy situation was that you were in the middle of. And most of the people that I see, and I see couples in extremis, but most of the couples that I see, most of the people have been living most of their lives out of their adaptive child part, thinking that that's an adult. And it, it isn't. It's a kid's version of an adult and it's rigid and it's immature it's repetitive. You do the same damn thing over and over again. And this is the art of moving beyond that part into something more observational, deliberate, mature, and relational. And how to make that work for you in, your, in, in this. You know, one of the things I say is people often will tell you that uh, relationships take work, but they won't tell you what it is. The real work of relationships is not even day-to-day, it's minute-to-minute. In this triggered moment right now, am I going to fight the way I always do, or am I going to shut down the way I always do, or am I going to try and fix it all the way I always do, or am I going to take a breath and move into a different part of me that can make better choices than my automatic Uh, responses. The the great spiritual teacher Krishna once said, true liberation is freedom from our own automatic responses. And this is about, one of the things I say is when an inner child kicks up, including the adaptive child part of you, fight, flight, or fix, you put them on your lap, you put your arms around them, you listen to them, you love them, and you take their sticky hands off the steering wheel, you in the back seat. I am going to deal with my spouse, not you. And in doing that, we use the relationship not in a way that our partner hears our trauma, but in a way that the relationship can heal our Trauma. And I think this has been a big missing element in all the trauma conversation we've been having. It's also individualistic. You can use, look, your trauma will spill out into your relationship. That's the bad news. And you can use this practice inside your relationship, not for your partner to heal your trauma, but for you to heal those inner children by putting your arms around them and forming a loving, In in some ways, parental relationship with them.
0: That's beautiful. And every word you said just felt so true to me. And I think about, you know, this like way that we, and, you know, as a trauma therapist and a trauma survivor and a person who's in a long-term relationship, I've been married for 25, this is my 26th year of marriage this year. and. (laughs) <laughs> thanks you know i think it's become apparent to me maybe in the past 5 years through the help of my therapist that you know things that i am projecting onto my partner as them doing something to me is really me kind of reliving what was done to me in a in a previous relationship you know during childhood most likely or right. early you know teen or early adulthood and right. And it does. And it's like the he becomes that, but it doesn't like it's not like he looks like the person that did that or he's not them. But my nurse, yeah,
1: yeah, something is happening, you know, trauma triggering. It's so
0: subtle. Well, all, all
1: your partner has to do is behave in a way that is similar enough To what happened to you early on, that it kicks out the response. That's trauma triggering. You don't remember trauma, as we all know. You're not, you know, the combat vet who hears a car backfire and spins around like he's got a gun in his hand is not thinking, I'm walking down Main Street remembering combat right. in combat and you know i i had a critical violent father so did my wife belinda belinda comes in and she's angry about this that or the other thing and she's critical i'm that four-year-old boy and yeah. she's that towering old father six foot three 240 pounds and you know i am ready to either duck under the rug and hide or bop her in the nose and fight her and that's that adaptive child response i call it whoosh w h o o s it's just a wave that comes right up from the now the one thing i do want to say and that i teach my students is this i always ask my students to be respectful of the exquisite intelligence of the adaptive child You did exactly what you needed to do back then to preserve your autonomy and your integrity and your spirit. But I have a saying, adaptive then, maladaptive now. Exactly what you needed to do in that uh, that environment in which you were a little dependent being uh, is probably what's ruining your current intimate relationships. So let's shake hands with that adaptive child. Let's let's embrace her, get to know her, uh, but let's not let her run your marriage. That's a bad idea.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the hardest things about it is that you don't know it's happening until you become skilled at recognizing the way it feels in you when you're triggered too. So it's like, it's a body response a lot of times. And I think, you know, you can please speak to this and I'm not a couples therapist. I do individual therapy, but the... You know, the common dynamic is women being more verbally expressive with their emotions because that's culturally more, at least women to women, we talk with each other about our emotions and men to men talk about sports,
1: (laughs) Yeah, which is what happened at the ball game, you know, and that goes back to patriarchy because our adaptive children, and this is where the book, I think. I'm proud that the book moves beyond the personal relationship to look. The adaptive children are cultural artifacts. Mm -hmm. The the socializing agent in your childhood were your parents and your family and the other kids on the playground. And, you know, culture doesn't wind up in us in some abstract way. It's the people who raised us. So, you know, my God, I was treating a guy – He was a sex offender. He would publicly masturbate. And I unwind his childhood, and he had a brutal, macho stepfather who he remembered, he hadn't remembered this in forever, but he did in the therapy, lined up his entire family when he was three years old, took his favorite blanket, his blankie, and burned it to the ground because he was too old for that now. That is the imposition of patriarchy on a three-year-old little boy. Uh, This is not abstract. This is what happened to you. And uh, what's happening across the board is that the adaptation of men and women are such that uh, we know from the feminist literature that women lose their voices at 13, 14, 15, become over-accommodating and slash resentful. The wound to girls and women is disempowerment. And the healing uh, move of that trauma is to re-empower them. The, 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 the healing uh, move for boys and men comes from the trauma of disconnection. Boys and men are not disempowered. If anything, we're falsely empowered. We're overly empowered. But we are disconnected. The way you turn a boy into a man in this culture to this day although it's better with the younger the man, the better. But to this day, it's through dis- you disconnect them from their hearts, from their feelings, from their vulnerabilities. You disconnect them from others. The essence of traditional masculinity is invulnerability. The more invulnerable you are, the more manly you are. The more vulnerable you are, the more girly you are. And what we know, I mean, thank you, B'nai Brown, is we, we humans connect to vulnerabilities? So you have the, uh, you have millions of dissatisfied women who want more emotional connection from men than we raise boys and men to deliver. Now, most therapy and uh, certainly cult- culturally, there's been a huge backlash, which is, you know, if women would just sort of shut up and learn to be more accepting, all would be well Which men's Men's style of intimacy. What, what is men masculine intimacy? They bowl together and don't talk. No, that's not intimate.
0: <laughs> or have I sex. Yeah,
1: right. I, I don't want women to stand down. I want men to stand up and meet these new demands. I take sides. I say the intimacy that women are asking for is good. You'll live longer. It's good for your kids. It's good for your body. Step up and do it. The way that women are going about asking for that intimacy may suck. But and need a lot of work. But what they're asking for is a good thing. So, you know, I'll be sitting with Harry and I'll I'll say, Harry, here's a piece of paper. Here's a pencil. I want you to jot these down. Joy, pain, anger, fear, shame, guilt, love. For your listeners, let me do that again. Joy, pain, anger, fear, shame, guilt, love. Okay, great. What are you feeling right now? Right now, as you're sitting in that chair, what are you feeling here? I guess I'm a little nervous. I'm going to fuck up. Okay, that's fear. Where is that in your body? It's in my chat. Good. What What is this feeling? A uh, kind of butterfly. Okay. If those butterflies could speak, what would they say? I don't want you to judge me. Great. What else are you feeling? Well, uh, I, I'm feeling like I love my wife and I don't want to screw things up. Great. Where's that love in your body? And you take a guy who's completely emotionally inarticulate. You You give him structure mentoring and help and the end of the exercise i'm telling you laura harry has identified five or six feelings by the time we're done he's never done anything like that in his life before and i get to say this wonderful thing i turn to him and i say harry you're a passionate man you have a ton of feelings it turns out your feelings never left you you left them They've been percolating all along. All you have to do is turn the satellite dish in and pay attention to them, and they're right there. And this is the kind of close, active mentoring that I think men in particular need in therapy, and that we're taught as therapists to not do. And uh, so, relational life therapy, what I the school I've created does break a lot of the rules, and it deals with some of the issues in very concrete, pragmatic ways that I think a great deal of therapy misses.
0: Running a group private practice has been a challenging and rewarding experience. And one thing that has made it so much easier is therapy notes. Therapy notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. If you're coming from another EHR, like I did, Therapy Nodes makes the transition incredibly easy, importing your demographic data free of charge so you can get going right away. My team has found Therapy Notes very easy to learn. It's intuitive. The customer support is second to none. And that's one of the things that has kept me a Therapy Notes customer for several years now. Anytime I've needed to contact Therapy Notes for help with an issue I couldn't figure out on my own, I've been able to get through to someone and resolve the issue within 15 minutes, 99% of the time. Find out what more than 100,000 mental health professionals already know. Try Therapy Notes for two months absolutely free. Just click on the link in the show notes or enter the promo code chat at therapynotes.com. Well, and that goes to, you know, what we always hear in therapy, that men do better with concreteness and, you know, structure and directiveness instead of just, you know, feeling like they're on the spot to tell what they feel when they don't know how to name it. And they're just becoming more and more uncomfortable and want to escape from the situation.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. So, you know, it's one thing to say, well, open your heart and be vulnerable. It's another thing to say, uh, by the way, if you do open your heart and be vulnerable, you will be undoing masculinity. You will be breaking all the rules that were imposed upon you as a boy. And it's yet another thing to say, open your heart and be vulnerable. Let me take you by the hand and show you how to do it. And that's the work that needs to be done, I believe. Now, there's a corollary piece for women if I may. Mm -hmm. Under patriarchy, and I like to say we're fish and patriarchy is the water we swim in. Uh, Under patriarchy, you can be uh, connected or you can be powerful, but you can't be both at the same time. Let me say that again. Under patriarchy, you can be connected, affiliative, uh, accommodating, quote-unquote feminine, or you can be powerful, instrumental, competent, can-do, quote-unquote masculine. But you can't be both at the same time because power, as Rhianne Eisler put it, is power over, not power with. It's dominance. And so when we move into the power position, we break connection. And what happens with many women that I see in my office is they eat it and eat it and eat it and eat it. And when they finally do, quote unquote, find their voices, it's like, I am woman, hear me roar," you know, it's what I call individual empowerment versus relational empowerment. Individual empowerment is, I was weak, now I'm strong, go screw yourself. I'm going to bark it out, and I don't give a good goddamn how you feel about it. Relational empowerment, which is brand new for our culture, is, I was weak, now I'm strong, I'm going to stand toe-to-toe with you. I'm going to bring my full voice into this relationship. What do you need from me, honey? How can we work together as a team? And that is brand new. And it breaks the back of individualism and it breaks the back of patriarchy. So I teach women the skill, and it's very concrete, of what I call soft power or loving power. How to stand up for yourself in no uncertain terms and cherish your partner and the relationship at the same time. Can I give you an example? Please. This came to me when I was working with a couple, heterosexual couple, young, classic deal. Uh, She, uh, uh, he wanted sex all the time. She wanted sex none of the time. And they were killing each other. So like any good therapist, I move them off of that level to what does sex mean to you? And like a lot of men, this young man filtered many of his emotional needs through sex. Uh, Mm -hmm. Being sexual meant that he was desirable, that he was good looking, that she liked him, that they were in good shape together, that she cared, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. I did not do this. They came up with this. Two weeks later, they come in, all smiles, the sex thing, got it nailed. Uh, Okay. There's a story here. Tell me the story. Yeah. So that night after the session, they were at home and lo and behold, he proposes sex. And rather than run to the other side of the room, which would be her normal move, newly empowered, this gal goes over to him, puts her arms around him, gives him a big, passionate kiss, looks him in the eye and says this, you're hot. I want you to know you are capital H.O.T. hot. You are gorgeous. You are sweet. You're a dear man. I feel so close to you. You got a big heart. I've never wanted anybody in my life as much as I want you. Oh, by the way, I don't want to have sex tonight. Anyway, let me tell you, I love you to pieces. Man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> I thought it was going somewhere else.
1: <laughs> and he, to his own amazement, looked at her and went uh okay and the reason why he was able to do that is because he felt so loved and so cherished that the no went down just fine and uh so there's a real skill here you know the difference between saying laura i don't like how you're talking to me and saying honey i want to hear what you're going to say could you tone it down so i could listen to it laura uh, role play laura not the real laura laura i want to be close to you and when you call me a chauvinist asshole, uh, I feel pushed away to the other side of the room. Could, could you redo that and, and uh, let me get as close to you as I want to be? Uh, who confronts anybody like that? No one. They have to be trained. They have to be taught. And that's what I go into in the new book. How to, be, how to not lose the us, the relationship, and not lose your power both in the same time.
0: It's beautiful. And it I mean, again, it just feels so right because, you know, it's not about me saying, okay, it's my turn. You've been a jerk for 26 years and now I get to be a jerk to you. It's, it's about like, I want us to be connected. I want to feel like we are a team and it, I don't want to have power over, but I don't want you to have power over me either. You know, and if you yeah. want to have power over me, then I'm going to be fighting to take back my power.
1: You know, I mean, I, what I would say is I'm going to be fighting to help you remember that um, power over is a toxic nightmare for both of us, and that it's in your interest to treat me well. You know, uh, I don't talk to people. This is not a power game. This is not a win-lose yeah. game this is like how are we going to work together in a way that's going to it's like the difference between saying i want sex i need sex we have to have more sex in this relation and saying honey you know what we both deserve a great sex life it's kind of fallen off the planet what do we need to do to resurrect it what a difference two ways of saying the same thing but oh my god one is relational one is linear individualistic, the way we normally talk in this culture, Mm -hmm. and the other is wise, relational, and loving. How to be strong and loving at the same time.
0: Yeah, it's like we have a problem, let's come to a solution together instead of you are the problem and I'm going to lash out at you kind of thing.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I write about this in the book. I say that uh, uh, virtually everybody who sees me is an essentialist. Uh, what's, What's the problem in your marriage? Her and what's her problem? Well, that's just who she is. She is essentially like that. I tell a story of a guy, we'll call him Bill. There are lots and lots of stories in in the book, and I'm proud that the stories read like stories. So many clinical vignettes are cardboard, but uh, there's something novelistic about that at its best. Anyway, Bill comes in. I ask him the question I ask most people just starting off a session. I say, it, it, what would you wish for it, if this therapy were to work brilliantly what would you get out of it and uh, bill god bless him says i want to get laid
0: <laughs> okay all right <laughs> he knows uh, why he's there
1: yeah. i say to him okay so i did brilliantly deduce your sex life is not what you want it to be right why is that that's my wife well what's the matter with her I don't know. She's just cold. She's frigid. The whole family's cold. I just don't think she's into it. Okay. I dismiss Bill and bring in Mrs. Bill. Hi. Hi. Bill's not happy with your sex life. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. Uh, You're you're not having much sex now. Why not? Are you kidding? Who would? He's a terrible lover. He's had premature ejaculation for 20 years. He won't deal with it. He won't talk about it. Every time I bring it up, he gets mad at me. Screw him. The hell with it. I'm done. I bring Aww. Bill. I bring Bill back in. I I dismiss Mrs. Bill and I bring in Mr. Bill. And I say to here's what I say to him. I've got great news for you. <laughs> <laughs> and the great news is systemic wisdom. The great news is. Bill, she's not just a cold, frigid bitch. You have something to say about this. If you change your behavior, let's see what happens. And this is great news for Bill. And it's true for all of us. We're all like, you know, some giant guy sitting on one end of the seesaw, complaining to everybody who walks by that his wife can't come down from the other end of the seesaw. And he's tried to reason, cajole, promise, scream, she won't come down. And we therapists the tap Bill on the shoulder and say, listen, let me tell you something. If you go up, maybe she'll come down. And this is the revelation. This is the wisdom that we as therapists have that the people who see us don't have. That this is in ecology, that you're connected. The the delusion of individualism is that we're apart from nature, and the delusion of patriarchy is that we control nature. And they're both nuts. Our relationships are our biosphere. We're not apart from them, we're in them. And once you realize that, for example, your marriage is your biosphere, you know, you can choose to pollute it over here with your temper, but you'll breathe in that pollution over here with your wife's anger, or distance, or lack of generosity. it's, It's inevitable. You can't escape your own system. And so we move from thinking linearly and stupidly and selfishly to thinking ecologically, relationally, and wisely. And that's the transition that the whole book is about, how to do
0: that. Oh, wow. So is the... What you have in the book, in the newest book, is it translated into what you teach in the Institute?
1: Yes. We have a thriving Institute, a two-year training track, and we teach relational life therapy. That's That's the name of the school. There are three phases of relational life therapy. The first phase we call awaking the client up, loving confrontation. This is what you're doing to blow your foot off. You're lying or you're evading or you're shutting down or you're controlling or you're uh, indulging anger over and over. This is the repetitive thing. This is what your adaptive child does over and over again. You wake up to that. Two, we move into trauma. We do deep trauma work. I think we're, uh, Janina Fisher also, but I think we're the only two. We do deep trauma work in the presence of the partner. The partner's sitting right next to you. You know, once I get what your adaptive child is doing, the next question is, where did you learn to do that? And that takes us into family of origin, trauma work, and inner child work. You form a relationship to that little boy or girl, and you begin to tend to them and don't let them act out in your relationships. And then the third phase is teaching. Uh, Once I tell you, once we reveal what you're doing that's so God-awful, We don't just leave you swinging in the wind. This is different from a lot of trauma work, like my dear friend Dick Schwartz and I have been around the block on this, you know, IFS, both personally and uh, and on stages together. Dick believes, like a lot of trauma people, that if you remove the trauma, the people intrinsically know how to be intimate with each other. I think that's wishful thinking, frankly. I think we live in a anti-relational, narcissistic, addictive, patriarchal culture. And within that culture, we do not teach boys and girls the skills they need to realize our beautiful dreams of lifelong closeness with each other. And so once we identify the adaptive child response, once we go back into your childhood and release some of the energy that created that adaptive child, then we teach you okay, try doing it this way. For example, soft power, loving power. Try not to tell your partner in no uncertain terms. Just how angry and miserable you are. Rather, tell them what you would like from them and what that might look like. So we coach people on how to do it differently. And I think we're the only system that I know that does all three: loving confrontation, deep trauma work, and then education and skill building. This is how it, this is what intimacy looks like. Let's let's get to it.
0: So how long would you typically work with a couple in this model?
1: Uh, I tell my couples it's a matter of months, not weeks, and not years. So I'm going to say three to 12 months usually.
0: That's great. I mean, yeah. that's a lot of good work to be able to do, and especially if it's as short as three months. But even in 12 months, to be able to you know, heal those relationship wounds is yeah. amazing.
1: It is amazing. Well, we've got something on our side, uh, which is that we're born to be relational. This is, you know, research tells us that the youngest of infants within weeks are reaching out for connection. The human body uh, thrives on emotional connection. It's as important as uh, not smoking or diet or exercise for our physical health. As a species, we are born to be relational. And so when we can help somebody, I call it move into the jet stream of connection, it's so pleasurable that they just want more. And the defenses melt away. If you can take them by the hand and teach them how to do it, it, it's so gratifying to do it that they move very quickly and permanently, so long as you add the trauma piece in with it. If you just do the skill building without going back into childhood, they're going to get overwhelmed. But if they have an ongoing relationship with those inner children, and they know they know down to the ground the repetitive pattern they keep doing over and over again, and uh, they have new skills to replace it with all three of those together can produce really a transformed person in a very short time.
0: Wow. I feel like a good place to close is a quote that you have said before, and I feel like it fits here in kind of like a bigger picture context. The quote is family pathology rolls from generation to generation, like a fire in the woods, taking down everything in its path until one person in one generation has the courage to turn and face of flames, that person brings peace to his ancestors and spares the children that follow. And I feel like this is beyond just family generational healing. It's culture. Yes, it is.
1: It absolutely is. And one of the ways that I get people to work is by reminding them that this is not for you alone. You know, when I think the great uh, pieces, look, the first book I wrote, I don't want to talk about it, about men in depression. Uh, there's a large autobiographical piece in that. And I say, my I am the son of a violent, depressed, uh, angry man. He was the son of a violent, depressed, angry man. I have two boys, now 31 and 34, and they do not say that. And that is the greatest work of my life. So one of the ways that, you know, a lot of big guys won't do this relational work for themselves, and they won't do it for their god-awful wives, uh, but they will do it for their children. And I think that both individually and collectively, we are living in horribly divisive uh, times and remembering the unity, remembering the whole, Remembering the community, that we are not uh, apart from the world we're in, and we certainly don't dominate the world we're in, that we must interact in ways that are communal and collaborative and mutually respectful. If we don't learn how to do that as a species, we're on the skids. So uh, I think this is, you know, one of the things I say is, look, we may not be able to bring peace to Ukraine or to the Middle East but we sure can bring peace to our living rooms and our bedrooms. So let's start the work right here with our own lives.
0: Terry rail saves the world, (laughs) 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 but not to make light, but it's, you know, it's the ripple effects of what we do interpersonally is what expands out. It's all of our interactions with everyone else in our lives and our communities. And You know, if we're violent in our world, we're violent and we're spreading that out. And if we're kind and collaborative and connected in our world, then that's what we're spreading out. So I'm seriously saying like this really is world changing stuff. So I'm so grateful that you were able to take the time to come and share about it here on Therapy Chat today. And can you tell everyone where can they find all the wonderful training, the books and all that you have going on?
1: Yeah, just go to my website. TerryReal.com, T-E-R-R-Y-R-E-A-L. There's a, for the general public that's listening, there's some wonderful tools. Uh, There's an inventory you can take about where you are and where your partner is and what the dynamic is between you. For therapists, there's uh, many, many trainings. We're currently revamping the school top to bottom, and we're going to fling open the doors in, in May. But come and look at the website, Terryreal.com. Uh, there's all sorts of goodies there for you. The book comes out in June 7. You can pre-order it. And um, I'm very proud of it. I think it's going to help a lot of people. I really do.
0: I really do think so, too. And thank you again, Terry, for coming on to Therapy Chat today. It's
1: been a joy. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you to Therapy Notes for sponsoring this week's episode. I do love Therapy Notes. It's such an asset to my business and makes my job as a practice owner and a therapist much easier. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at TherapyNotes.com. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan,
1: LCSWC. For more information...
0: Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code chat at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today.